Welcome to Good Looking Out, episode number 25, a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. All right, Santos. So uh, I am going to let everyone know this is an episode we've previously recorded and we lost. It got eaten by GarageBand. So we are going to attempt to do a kind of condensed re-record of this episode. Uh, The theme for this episode is... Uh, your three favorite movies with hitmen. Yep. And uh, we define this as not no like spy or espionage related thing. Like the hitman can't be kind of tangential to the story. It needs to be more sort of like a classic traditional. Your contract killer. Yeah. <laughs> that's the deal. Yep. That's and that's what the movie's about. Yep. Right. Straight up. Yeah. So the first time we recorded this, I. Realized as we were talking about that I hadn't seen any of the movies on my list in quite a while. And because we lost the recording, I had the opportunity to go back and watch what I think is the greatest Hitman film of all time, which we will discuss. Yes, so killer. It's, it's nice to have it fresh in my memory now. That's at least one of the advantages of having it. Oh, that's um, awesome. I watched it over the break. So Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I'll start. Um, when we first... Um, Talked about hey actually yeah let's talk oh. about this for a second huh okay before we jump in I mean we're gonna we're doing <laughs> we're doing we're doing um, hitmen but you got some whiskey here let's talk about yes. that quick yeah I got a whiskey here um, give it a try and then then I'll tell you what it is what tell me what you think oh man I love that yeah. Oh, it's a uh, Balvenie. T- it's the Balvenie Twenty One Portwood. So oh. it's finished in. Uh, it's a whiskey that's aged in port casks. So it has that kind of like whiny, sort of sweeter flavor to it. Um, that and you know, it's a twenty-one-year-old Scotch. So holy shit, <laughs> that's major. Yeah, I brought a whiskey too. Oh, nice. Um, but. It's kind of a fucking... We'll save yours for next episode. All right. this It's not... Shit, man. That's killer. <laughs> That's amazing. Balvenie... 21. 21. Portwood. Portwood. Yep. Okay, simple enough. That's amazing. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Salute. Oh, this is something that the hitman in my first pick... Would be definitely be sipping on. <laughs> you think so? I do. I do. I mean, it, I, I don't know if you could have got this in the states in the seventies. So my my pick, um, one one of my picks, and it's definitely it, it's not the best Hitman movie ever by by any means. It's really really good, but it's the mechanic, Charles Bronson, um, and he plays a fancy pants. Um, like he's well to do, like he's been doing this for a long time. Like he's, uh, and that's a bit unusual for him because he usually plays kind of characters that are more rough and rugged, rough around the edges, which is so cool about this. Right. Cause yeah. he's, he's, I don't, I can't think of another, um, another movie where he's a highfalutin type of dude. Right. Right. I mean, all of the, um, what's, what are the revenge pictures? The, uh. Death Wish. Yeah, Death Wish. All the Death yeah. Wish movies. I mean, he's just he's just dude. Right. Right? Um, lives in kind of a shitty apartment. Right. Um, or in, like, one of them. I I only saw... I'm by no means, like, a Charles Bronson aficionado. It, yeah. It, like, wasn't quite my thing. I had a neighbor growing up who, who... He and his father were super into all the Charles Bronson stuff, and they watched it all. I caught, I think, part of, like, Death Wish 3 or 4 or something over at his house, and... It's kind of like he was living in the middle of nowhere. That that far in, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he he becomes a recluse after he loses his family. Ah. Um but uh yeah, man, I, there's something about that guy that like you wonder like how he how he became a movie star kind of. Like I mean, I love him, don't get me wrong, but there's something about him that you're like I don't know, like he 
you're not amazing. Like, there's not a lot right. of dynamism in his I, character. It's funny you say that because I was I was going to ask you. I was going to probe a little bit this time on that and be like, is Charles Bronson a good actor? <laughs> and the answer is no. <laughs> he's not. Uh, he's great at what he does, but it's like he's kind of he's pretty typecast. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's almost like they had this. They had this. It was still. It was the last vestiges of a Hollywood era where you cast someone in a specific role, and it was almost more about more how they looked and their presence than it was about whether they actually had real acting chops. You were hundred percent versatile. Right. You were hundred percent right. And you know, whatever people people may argue with me, but I mean, if you talk about a great Daniel Day Lewis and Charles Bronson, you tell me. You do, you do the fucking breakdown, and you tell me. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of caliber, you know what I mean, yeah. of acting chops, and it's fucking Charles Bronson. No. But the thing is, is you don't you don't have to be for the stuff that he did. He was great. Yeah. I feel like Clint Eastwood was also yep. the same, but then had to bridge and actually figure out how to, not that Clint Eastwood ever stretched super far and no. did anything that different, but it feels like he at least had to pick up some acting chops along the way a little bit and break out a little bit. I mean, he always kind of plays the same type of guy. Yeah, he's. it's hard to not be Clint Eastwood, I think, right? Like, you got, yeah. like, I don't know he's how he's that not. that voice. It's the voice, the eyes, the whole, like, yeah. Like, you're not, again, like, I don't know why. I just, I just have Daniel Day-Lewis stuck in my head now. I just keep thinking of all his different pictures. And, and it's like, I mean, that guy can be fucking anybody. He can be anybody. Yeah. Right? So true. Um, so, anyhow, let me let me just talk about yep. the mechanic for a minute. Like, um, it, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a movie about um, this hitman who gets a job. Um, he, he's been doing it for a long time, and he's very much a craftsman. He's a tradesman, um, and he doesn't care how he kills. He, very, he takes his time, plots... Plots it out. He's very methodical in the way he works. Um, and through a the course of events, he's kind of um, picks up a, uh, um, a protege. And who is that dude? Um, wavy, blonde, shitty hair. Like, did did we say it was Jan Michael Vincent? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Airwolf. Airwolf. That's it, man. Yeah. It's Jan Michael Vincent. Yawn. Um, what? Again? Jan. Jan Michael Vincent. Jesus. I don't know if it's Yawn or Jan. Who gives a shit? I mean, honestly, who cares? Um, he's super annoying in the movie. Um, but. But yeah, he, he's trying to teach him and he becomes, he becomes a vehicle for, you know, for our hero to sort of talk about the trade, you know, like this is the reason that he's gives him a, a foil to be able to talk about like how you do it, how you, you know, how you go about it. But the movie's great. Like there's, there's great, the, the action scenes are amazing. Um, there it's it, the, the craft of that movie is, is great. Like it's, it, it's a solid, solid movie. I, I hmm. highly recommend it. Um, really good hitman movie and one that a lot of people don't know about. So, Right. Check that one out for sure. Right on. All right. Um, my first pick, I'm actually going to go in chronological order. And oh. my movies are, uh, it, in, you know, keeping to the uh, Hitman theme. They're in a, uh, a very close spread. You know, oh, okay. To use a shooting terminology. Yes. Uh, chronologically, <laughs> close spread. Okay. Uh, my first film is La Femme Nikita. Which is uh, 1990 Luc Besson. Is it 90? Yep. Jesus, I thought uh, that was 80s for sure. Jean Renault and Anne Pariol. Pariol. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm butchering that French name. Bridget but... Fonda was in it too. <laughs> yeah. Some, some other episode where we have to discuss the the American need to remake <laughs> we really totally brilliant do. films and completely ruin them. Oh my god. Because Point yeah. of No Return oh. is not a not a good film. No. And it's it's amazing because La Femme Nikita is such a brilliant film. Oh, um, dude, it's amazing. And, you know, kind of, I think, I love films where there's like a 
training or mentoring sequence. And this film particularly does a good job and takes its time with it and kind of does it in an entirely new way. Cause uh, for those who haven't seen it, you really have to just absolutely have to oh, see it. That's a it's must foundational to yep. uh, modern kind of a lots of uh, modern films pay homage to it. Oh yeah. It's, it's hard to think of a film like ha- that a film like Hannah didn't, you know, it's obviously it's like based on yeah. It's like a it's almost, almost an like interpretation. a modern reinterpretation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So La Femme Nikita, uh, our main protagonist, is female. She is kind of hooked up with this sleazy boyfriend, and they're kind of like quasi scumbag sort of criminals. There's kind of like this, not like an anarchist element, but the sort of this pseudo like we're um, just this nihilist fuckers that That's don't right. care, and you know, not that they're like degenerates, but they're more just like. Are they junkies? Wasting their lives away. Kind of junkies. I think she has to detox a little bit. So what happens is they are, um, I think, robbing a store. Something happens. They're committing a crime and someone accidentally gets killed. And she gets arrested. And um, as part of the sentencing, I think her boyfriend is killed uh, in the thing. She's arrested. um, And she gets the choice of either... um, spending you know the most most of her life in jail or this thing where they're going to pretend that she dies and she enrolls in this program um and it turns out that this program is this sort of like quasi government sort of black ops program that trains hit hit men hit and in this case a hit woman yep um and what's so amazing about it is not only the the um uh Jean Renault character who kind of plays her mentor in this thing, who she kind of almost like pseudo falls in love with slash has this relationship where it's the father that she never had or the mentor she never had in her own life. But not only do they train her to be a killer, but they train her to, um, and all aspects of seduction and how to dress and proper manners and how to move through society and all the things that she's going to need to know, uh, uh, it's, it's like the crash course in life that she never got and all the resources that she needed to be a successful person in life. But now she's learning all this stuff so that she can take life. Yeah. in high society type to be able to move undetected in that world. Yep. And then um, the amazing thing is kind of the sequence of missions and skills and you see all this stuff building and then it culminates in this final mission where she actually has to go into a building on her own and take someone out. And I I hate to ruin it, but for anyone who hasn't seen it, but there's this ultimate scene that has sort of kind of become this, it's this really arresting moment in the film because you're kind of, you, it's very in the t- kitchen? it's very tense when she goes into this thing. Well, they give her an escape route. She has like yes, yeah, a yeah, way yeah. to execute this plan. And basically, what they do in order to test her is the escape route is bogus. She goes in this bathroom. She's supposed to climb out this window, and she goes in. The window is completely bricked up. And they yeah. have known this is the f- really the final test. The mur- the like hit was the penultimate test, and this is the ultimate test. Like when shit goes really wrong, do you have the skills and? can you think on your feet enough to get out of this? And this massive gun battle ensues and um, a very iconic scene. So I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to ruin the film for anyone, but you can talk about that, that one shot though. Like there's that famous shot that's right. been repeated so many times, right? Where she, cause yeah. So like you said, she's in a restaurant and makes her way into the, into the bathroom gets turned around there. And then she makes her way into the kitchen and, yep. And, you know, this enormous gun battle, like they're coming in with with grenade launchers. Yeah. And they actually repeat this in another movie that we're going to talk about yep. um, in a little bit. But it, it actually it's repeated in Die Hard. It's repeated yep. in it's a famous shot where um, where she dives into a laundry chute yep. to escape an explosion. And the camera's looking up the laundry chute. She's coming down towards the camera. Right. And, and the explosion is right behind her. Yep. The fireball is just coming right down the chute. Yeah. And it's it's super so, exciting. So killer. It's yeah. so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, I think what's interesting about this is, and I love it when people take what people like to shit on as like a, a genre of books or a genre of film. And not that... Not that it needs to be elevated. It's with it's with its own right. But I feel like, you know, what Basson brings here to this is he brings ultimate craft to a genre that didn't necessarily hadn't necessarily That's right. was very plot driven 
didn't do a lot with character and story and didn't definitely like wasn't known for having amazing cinematography and to set up and to envision a shot like that is definitely taking things to the next level. Oh, that's one of the yeah. reasons if, you know, just one of the many reasons why this film deserves to be on the ultimate list, I think. And he's amazing, right? Yep. He's so great. And how killer is it that it's a woman? Yeah. It's so good. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I can't, I can't name a picture before that that I can remember um, a contract killer that was a woman. There, there's one, I'm sure, but I'd, I'd love to hear it. Like, I'd, right. I don't know what it, I can't think of one. It, it, even if there was one, it couldn't have had the exposure. No, no. And the influence that this one had. So. Enormous influence. Yeah, that, that, that movie influenced, like, moving forward, it influenced every crime suspense movie. Not everyone, but... Like it, yeah. it had huge ranging influence. Yep, killer movie. Absolutely. All right, what you got for number two? Number two, I got. Um, so there's so many, right? So I, I went back and forth between. I don't think this is a better movie than Pulp Fiction. In Pulp Fiction, I think you could. You, could, I, I think Pulp Fiction. It, it it stretches the boundary of what we're talking about here. It is a movie about about contract killers. Yep. Right? I mean, those... But yeah. they're also... They're enforcers, which is kind of the same thing, but... Yeah, like, I don't know. It's a little different, Kind of like though. hired muscle for... They're muscle. That's more it. Yeah. That's the thing. They're more muscle, like mob Killing muscle Killing is part guys. of their job, but it's not necessarily, like, the yes. entirety of it. So that's why I feel like it's not... And there's plenty to choose from that are just purely fit the definition. Yep. So I leave Pulp Fiction aside to talk about The American... Yes. George Clooney. Yep, absolutely. Um, I think is an underrated, underexposed film. It's way underrated. Yeah. I don't know why. And Yeah, and it didn't... I don't know why it didn't do well. I don't get it. Like, that was, that's a great movie. The opening scene is yep. heart-wrenching um, and, like, leads you into the, you know, the, the you know, the life of a, of, a, of a hitman is a bleak, like, life... Led with very little connection yep. to in very few relationships for sure And this, you know, and that's one of the, I think the defining traits of a hitman is that like, it's, you know, you're a person that is able to live without those things in your life, you know, and sometimes it backfires and it comes to a head and you can't deal with it anymore. And, but we see very quickly in the American that, manifest itself in, in this hitman's life. Right. Um, and, um, and he has like the thing that's so great about this. That one of the things I love about, about any crime movie. Um, but especially the, this sort of subgenre is, um, is getting down into the tools of the trade. Right. There's something that I really like about this film that I think separates it from a lot of other ones, and definitely from the more kind of government espionage thing, where this film almost has like a very low-tech vibe to it. Oh, totally low-tech. You know, he's like, you know, not going as far as like a MacGyver-type scenario where he's like making weapons out of nothing, but he is using raw skills to customize, and he's not using super fancy weapons, he's not, but he's... he. It, there's precision in what he does. So he's taking these like lo-fi tools and, you know, it's like the jazz drummer that blows your mind on a four piece set. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. He, he like gets a bunch of his, it's like machining tools that he's getting from mechanics and like, and he's, it, it, the, what it does is it shows you the depth of his knowledge. So you gain this respect for this killer because he's, you can see that he's devoted his life to it because he can basically, he's making his own cartridges. You know, he's like, which and a lot of people do, you know, that's not in and of itself an in, um, incredible thing, but you know, it shows like the attention to detail. He's not going to just go with some store-bought yep. bullet. He makes his own. Of course he does. Yep. Um, and even down to the gun, the silencer, the, the, all kinds of stuff like the barrel. I, I don't know if he makes the barrel. I don't remember, but, but it's super cool. And he, and so they spend a lot of time on that, which I love, you know, they, yep. they really do spend time with that. Yeah. I think the pacing, the pacing of the film 
and the focus of the film because it's not like you don't see him killing a million different people in this film. No, it's very contained. Yep. And, and because it's more about his, his life and who he is and that sort of solitude that you mentioned. And it has this thing that the genre, the genre does a lot where it's like, you get the sense and they don't make as big a deal out of it as they do in other movies, but he's looking to retire. He's looking for a way out. He's in his final sort of jobs. Um, and what they do really well, and I, 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 they do a really good job with this, is you get a sense of, even with that solitude, he meets this woman who's a call girl, and they sort of like end up spending time together. Um, she's an Italian woman. And um, you, get the, you want him to move on to this other life with this woman. Yeah, very that, much. That's, that's your desire as a viewer for this film, is you want him to transcend this life that he has and you want him to move on, um, which makes the film that much more impactful when it unfolds as it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Um, and he goes, you know, it's, it's also very, um, visually it's the way it's colored, I think is, I love the way this thing's colored. Like it's, it's not a super rich palette. Like it's very washed out. Um, yep. And there's tons of um, wide aerial shots. Um, it, it's a beautiful. It, it looks so good. The, I, this is a great, great movie. Um, definitely check it out if you because I'm sure it's pretty new. I think it's three years old. If you know, two, three years old. Sounds about right. Um, but I highly recommend it. All right, my next pick is what I. I think I can safely say is the best hitman film of all time. Yeah, I think <laughs> I I know what your pick is, um, and I, I don't think I'd argue it. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's amazing. So um, the pick is once again. I actually didn't realize until I was you know pulling IMDb lists and years and stuff like that that I had picked two Luke Besson films back to back. So this is of course Leon the Professional. Yep. Um, so we have Leon, who's this. It's interesting um, because the second time I watched it, I kind of noticed there's this like almost. Um, I wonder if they didn't get the sort of the transformative element of in Breaking Bad when high when the Walt character puts on that hat mm -hmm. and those glasses and he turns into Heisman uh, Heisenberg. because Heisenberg. Sorry, Heisenberg. Um, yeah, Heisman. <laughs> Heisenberg. Um, I noticed, uh, and I'd forgotten this element, that this Jean Reno character in this film, who, play, who plays Leon, is a very soft and gentle person outside of when he puts on these round sunglasses and he puts on this huh. particular hat. And it's funny because at the, at the end of every evening, he... Uh, he sits down. He he says later to the Natalie Portman character, who's this young girl. So let's let's rewind a little bit here. Uh, for those who haven't seen the film, Natalie Portman is a young girl who has a shitbag father and mother and overall family who lives just down the hall from this uh, John Renault character who plays this hitman in this building. Um, her father is a scumbag who is skimming money. Um, from a dirty DEA agent who's played by Gary Oldman. And this crew shows up uh, one day and basically kills the whole family. Uh, yeah. And she happens to be out at the time at the store getting groceries, and she gets milk for this Leon character because that's his thing. He just drinks milk. She's all not the hiding under the bed? She's not hiding under the bed. Her little brother hides under that's the bed, yeah. and he runs out and is, is sort of accidentally killed. That's right. And her little brother's the only person she cares about in her family. That's it. That's it. Um, and he's like, you know, a five, six-year-old kid. And he's, he's accidentally shot in this, like, spray of uh, automatic gunfire. Because um, things go slightly wrong. Gary Oldman is stopping, and he's making this big speech. He's this big... Uh, Gary Oldman is brilliant in this oh my film. God, he's unbelievable. He plays an absolutely psychotic, like DEA uh, lieutenant who is uh, pops these like crazy. We don't know what that is. We don't know what it is. It's some sort of like crazy stimulant that he cracks these pills between his teeth and he listens. He's like a classical music buff. So as he just like 
steps in with this shotgun, uh, pretends like he's sort of orchestrating a symphony. He walks to his apartment. He blows this woman away in the bathtub, who's the mom. He blows away the daughter in the hall. And he comes into the room, and he's confronting this shitbag that he told, you have to tell us by noon exactly where this money is. And he kicks down this guy's door at noon, comes in, and then says, it's 12.01, and he starts giving this lecture about classical music music and the difference between like Brahms and Beethoven and Mozart and it's this brilliantly psychotic scene well meanwhile while he's doing this of course this guy's reaching for a gun that's right and so it ends up going kind of bad he wings the Gary Oldman character and every mayhem ensues and it's when the mayhem ensues that the little boy comes running out and gets accidentally shot in this thing yep that's so whole family forgot about that scene this now, Natalie Portman, her first role ever, it's the role that kind of, you know, launched her career. She comes home, she walks down this hall. She's a pretty smart, street-savvy kid. She knows what's up. So when she sees, um, you know, sees these guys, these tough guys with guns standing outside her apartment, she knows enough to walk by. And there's this yeah. tense moment where she's knocking on two doors down. She's knocking Leon's on door. Leon's door. Hoping, and he's, of course, being a professional, has noticed that all this is happening. He's standing there with a gun. Um, so he has this decision to make. Am I going to take this girl in? Mm-hmm. And he decides that he takes her in. She ends up kind of becoming um, sort of his surrogate daughter. He becomes a surrogate father. She really wants to. She learns very quickly uh, that he's a hitman. He's very open about it with her. Um, they have this almost peer-to-peer relationship. That relationship is multifaceted. Yeah, it's very complicated. Very it's like father-daughter, peer-to-peer friends because he doesn't have anyone in his life. No, he doesn't. Uh, he's there's a very a strange, there's some strange creature. sexual tension. Yeah, too. she sort of yeah has this like almost like romanticizes that. She, He's her lover. In fact, at one point they get kicked out of a hotel because she tells the guy at the front desk, you know, he's not my father. He's my lover. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, Yeah. So, and he's trying to subtly and kindly kind of rebuff all of that inappropriate, inappropriate affection at every turn. Yeah. Um, So anyways, she really wants to learn to be a hitman and to ultimately get revenge for the people who killed her little brother. She doesn't really care about her father or her stepmom or her sister. She just wants to kill the scumbags that, um, and she even at one point figures out who they are, um, because she's back, goes back to her apartment and overhears him walking a couple other actual police detectives through the crime scene. Um, so anyway, What's so great about this film is not only the kind of uniqueness of the character, and I uh, we had talked about this last time, but I love that his all of his kind of ethics and sort of motto and morals is summed up in "No women, no kids," which became yes. this sort of famous famous phrase that sort of you know reverberated past this movie mm-hmm. as this kind of code of ethics. But the the distillation of that code of ethics and um, the just the subtle relationships that are set up um, really well. His relationship, so he works for, he has a handler who's this Italian guy who runs a restaurant played by Danny Aiello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is bilking him out of all of his money. He hand, he handles all the money because this John Renault character, while he's this cold-blooded, super pro hitman, like is very unwise to the ways of the world. That's right, yeah. He's very lacking in in. The rest of the rest of the skills that skills he needs to be yeah. yeah is barely kind of he, which is why all he has is a plant before this Natalie Portman character yeah and when along. they escape in in there's I mean there's a ton of action in this movie yeah a lot of action um, but there's also t- tons of like super tender quiet moments and he lives a very Spartan lifestyle like there's his apartment is. He drinks milk by the quart, and he only buys a quart at a time, yep. and that's the only thing that's in the fridge. And he has a plant. Yep. And, and he that's it. He just has. And there's this this scene where you you kind of see even before the Natalie Portman character comes off, where at the end of the night he sits down in this chair, he puts on these round sunglasses, he puts on his hat, 
He has a gun in his lap. He turns off the lamp and he kind of is like half asleep, half awake, sitting in this chair, looking at the door, just ready to gun down anyone who comes in after him. Oh, my God. And that's that kind of moment of transformation that I was referring referring to. When he goes on a job, he puts on this trench coat. He puts on, he has this like amazing sort of old school leather harness that holds all of his grenades and knives and all this stuff. It's like this really awesome kind of cross between a vest and some sort of like a harness thing puts on this big trench coat which is funny because he almost looks like a french clown or a french acrobat like it has this this like almost vagabond feeling but then he puts on these sunglasses puts on this like stocking cap that's slightly rolled up and he he's very he's lanky but he's a very imposing figure oh for sure he's very unusual he's definitely like Apart, you know, like you don't see people like this in American society. He has a very French oh my vibe. God. Oh, for him, sure. even even the way he sort of, you know, handles himself. So yeah. Anyways, uh, through the course of the film, because um, the Natalie Portman character wants revenge, she ends up after he teaches her some rudimentary skills. She tries to go, decides that she's going to go take out the. Uh, What's his ass? Why am I Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, thank yeah. you. Character on her own. Things go south. She ends up getting captured. Um, and then, which brings these two parties fully into conflict. And then, yep. I don't want to spoil how it resolves, but there's epic gun battles and explosions. Epic. and Epic. Bring everyone. <laughs> bring everyone. <laughs> everyone! Like what, he... <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you mean? Yeah, he's like talking to his lackey, who is this... Yeah, yeah. Like, dumb. <laughs> All of his lackeys are these sort of dumb guys and um, who just totally kowtow this guy. One guy's a white dread guy, which I think is hilarious. Oh, my because God. Because then Gary Oldman in, in true romance ch- plays a white dread yes. yep. character <laughs> as well, brilliantly. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was like, they send up this SWAT team first. He takes out this whole group of SWAT team. Yep. They send more SWAT guys up, and he starts taking them out, too, and Gary Oldman realizes, like, we're up against yeah, it. Yeah, we are up against it. Like, yeah. this guy is not going to be... He is entrenched. He's murdering all my guys. All of the, like, the elite forces of, of the police and the DEA. Like, we need everyone. Yeah. What do you mean everyone? <laughs> I bring everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, anyways. And, and, and it's just like... I mean, they fill... The, the block is filled. Like, yes. there's... 20, 30 police the cars. Stairways completely, stairwells completely filled. And what's so great about this film is the performances across the board, even from the supporting characters, like the Danny Aiello character, how subtly they reinforce. There's a patience to you get the sense in the beginning, but you're not sure that something funny is going on with That's the right. money. Yeah. And then you kind of get that sense a little. You never quite trust him. Yeah. Old Tony. Old Tony's better than a bank. Old Tony's better than the, the bank. banks get knocked off. Old, no one knocks off old Tony. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all these, he has all these reasons for why, like, he should hold the money. And, you know, of course it's your money. But hey, don't I always take care of you? Right. You know, here's a couple hundred bucks. Yep. Like, you know, it's like parsed out in these, like, small increments. And he's, you know, just taking advantage. What a of crazy it. part of that story. Like, do you, like, that's the kind of detail... I don't know who wrote that, but that's the kind of detail that, like, adds so much more depth to that character. Because you could remove the Danny Aiello character and that whole part of it. You know what I mean? He could just be getting his orders from whomever. Right. But that whole part of his pay and the money, like, that just, like, it shows you that, like, it it does turn him into, like, this isn't a guy that's equipped to handle the world. Well... What's what's nice about what I think what's not definitely handled about it is it makes the Natalie Portman character so much more important because it's not like he you see him early on with this Danny Aiello character and you get the sense that like early on before they start talking about this money aspect you get the sense of oh here's like a guy who trained him maybe or brought him up or get, like gives him resources and helps him arrange his life but what you come to realize is no even this guy the one person who is supposed to be his friend is taking advantage of him. And the only person who has genuine love for him in the, in the world is this girl that he takes in. They literally just have each other. They have nothing else. And it's the two of them against all these, uh, you know, all these forces that are conspiring to just tear their life apart. 
Oh my god, that's it, man. That's exactly it. The, the two, they have nothing, they have no one else. Her family's completely dead. He is alone in the world. They both only have each other. It's a heart. It's a heartbreaking movie. Yeah. It's so good. It's unbelievable. Yeah, to, to that to just the the range that it has, right? To go yep. from like those tender moments to just like mass. Some killing. of the best action scenes you'll ever see. Oh, yeah. so good. And um, as we were saying, that uh, they pay they pay homage to to La Femme Nikita. Well, so he puts the Matilde character, he takes the axe and he cuts out the fan above the stove and he puts her down this, like, electric shaft and she goes down. He doesn't uh, end up, like, the rockets come in and there's a scene where he's just, like, he's been uh, shooting, he barely gets her away before they fucking fire this rocket-propelled grenade or something into his Mm -hmm. apartment. And he's just, like, screaming, like, facing it, like... Bring it, motherfucker! Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. And there's this big explosion, and then I don't want to ruin how that's not the the end of no, our that is not antagonist. He comes up with a brilliant way to. But that shot, they repeat it. They do the same shot. They look up that shaft. You see the fire until the coming down. down yeah. and you see the fireball. Like they they do the shot. Right. So good. Yeah, that thing is unbelievable. And I would say that. Um, there's two versions, um, and the director's cut, lots of times... The director's cut is better, for sure. Yeah, lots yep. of times, like, you can't even tell the difference, and they, it, lots of times it's just a marketing ploy to... But this so, one, get watch the director's the, cut. The interesting thing about the director's cut is that the reason why they cut the scenes out was because they thought it would be too risque for um, American, American films, because the scenes they cut out are the scenes where she says... Leon, I think I might be in love with you. That's and right. The scenes where she makes these unwelcome sort of romantic advances. advances. Exactly. And the yeah. thing about it is when you cut those out, you have – when you don't deal with it, you don't get to see him subtly rebuffing and letting her know that this is not okay and this is not what he wants. And when you remove it, all there is is this implied sort of It makes weird, it creepier. It makes it creepier. It did the opposite of what they wanted. That's exactly right. Yeah, because it leaves because it open the possibility. Unsaid. It all that, just goes unsaid that this guy could be a pedophile. And that's right. The reason why he let her in is because like they're going to sleep together or something. And what you need you need to see those moments where it's addressed because it's addressed. That's right. It's addressed, and and he and he shuts it off, and because and it's another like she doesn't know that that's inappropriate. She's just she's just. You know, she can't control her emotions. She's a little girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, that's a really good observation. Yeah, by pulling them out, by pulling those scenes out, they make it worse. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right, what you got for three? Good one. All right, so my third one, um, I'm going to switch it up. So I think potentially on my list and on many people's list um, at the top for – if you asked any other film buff, they would probably say Le Samurai. Yep. Um, as one of the greatest hitman movies ever, for sure, and it is. Yep. It's amazing. Um, but I want to talk about Ghost Dog. <laughs> okay, yeah. What do you think? What are you laughing for? I you don't like it? No, no. I think Ghost Dog is. I think Ghost Dog is an is interesting. I don't think that Ghost Dog is a great film. Honestly, I don't know that it is either. To be honest with you, like I, I don't hold it higher than Le Samurai. Right. To, to, make, to be clear, I just wanted to talk about something a little bit different. Yeah. It's you I know I I like it because it's sort of a quirky offbeat entry, but it's not Jarmusch's best film. It's kind of weird and quirky. Part of you could say part of its strength is how weird and quirky it is, but I think it's also the downfall of sort of like yeah. I, it's it, the thing. I don't think. I think if you were to ask him, um, I, I think he would probably. Admit to that that like it not everything worked in that movie. Yeah, not everything works. Um, but it's I th- I think it's interesting, and I the only reason I do bring it up again to be clear, Le Samurai is a better movie than Ghost Dog. Yes, clearly without a doubt. But um, I don't know. I, I we talked about Le Samurai. I just kind of want to talk about this for a minute because I um I I've been just been thinking about Jim Jarmusch lately. 
um, because I haven't watched any of his movies in so long, and I haven't seen Ghost Dog in so long. Um, I did just watch Broken Flowers, though. I actually think that's good. I think it's great. I mean, once again, I don't think it's his best film ever, but it's quite good. It is. It's very good. And I don't think it really got any attention. I I think, I kind of feel like he has fallen off and he hasn't got the attention that he deserves. Yeah, me too. I think so too. Um, I think the thing that's interesting about Ghost Dog is, um, is the character, you know, um, like it's a, it's a new take on, um, on the, on the character, you know, on the hitman because he's, he trains very closely to the, um, the, the art of war, the Bushido. Yeah. The Bushido code yep. is kind of, um, yeah, he, he trains and he treats his craft as a samurai. Um, and he, he, the art of war, isn't it the art of war? I thought it was the Bushido code, but I could be wrong. Maybe they mix the Bushido. I think code they, I think the... he might mix them a little bit, but, um, yeah, I love, like there's, you know, he's got the, uh, the, there's such good scenes where he's like, I love the scene with the the ice cream yeah vendor yeah where they have no idea what each other is saying yeah right yeah 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 that's like that's the magic of a Jim Jarmusch film right there. right Those yeah like that's brilliant the... moments that no one else kind of thinks of yeah that's what I love about them is that stuff like where they're friends and they've been friends for a long time and neither of them know what the other's saying they they don't understand the language but they do communicate yep. Um, it's so great. I don't remember, well, I don't remember a lot else beyond that, but I just, I was curious to hear your take on it and yeah, you know, not the best Hitman movie ever. I mean, I remember the scene where he, what is the whole thing with, how does he end up, what is the conflict with the big Italian? Like the, did they hire him out and then they try to kill him? Afterwards, because they're they're done with him, or does he decide he's done killing for them? I think this is another movie where, and I um, brought this up with uh, the first time we talked about the professional. Is there's a lot of times in films, it's about the, and this is historically based on Murder Incorporated was a group that was started, a group of Jews um, that were contract killers for the Italian mob because it was against. it was against the rules of like the the kind of code that the families had established. They weren't allowed to kill each other. So even when someone was decided like, and it was approved by all the families, okay, this shithead needs to sleep with the fishes. <laughs> uh, they would go to in order to not create lasting conflict and bad blood. Because even when something was approved, someone would still be like, "Well, I'm going to get the guy who got my friend." Mm-hmm. Afterwards, even though we know it was deserved or whatever, I'm still going to take that shit shithead out. Yeah. So they would, in order to not create ripples of conflict, they went to Murder Incorporated, and these guys who, um, you know, Meyer Lansky was a part of it, um, got this sort of group of Jewish guys together, and these guys went all over the nation doing oh, yeah. hits for the mob, and you see. Yep kind of little hints of that in other movies where the Italian mob is going to this outsider, you know, which is very much the theme of a lot of the samurai and sort of old West films. It's like the person who must come in to who achieves justice is an outsider who must come into this corrupt situation. But yeah. Yep. And that's the case. Um, yeah. With when ghost dog, doesn't he get, doesn't he get all of his, uh, he gets all of his orders from uh, a pigeon. Don't they use a right? They use a pigeon, right? I think you're right. Um, and he just waits and waits and waits, and I don't know. It's kind of a cool take on it, and we hadn't talked about it. It's a good one. Um, and I need to see Le Samurai again. Like that, I I haven't seen in in a long time. Yep. Um, there's so much, you know. Not to just switch over to that quick, and we'll wrap it up in a minute. But I, honestly, Le Samurai. Um, is so well crafted and it does like one of my favorite things in a crime movie in any movie, but it works better with when you have like visual sort of mechanics to advance the plot. And this is the case with the samurai very much is, um, long sequences with no dialogue, which I love. It's so great. Like you just get to sit there and you watch things unfold and you see it in, 
you know, you see it in great caper fl- films. You see it in great, like, jailbreak movies. Um, it's one of my favorite things is when there is no no dialogue, you know. And that, that nope. film's a master of... There's no... The, there's no dialogue for the first ten minutes of the whole movie. Right. Nothing. So, watch Ghost Dog, but watch Le Samurai first. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. And there's the... I mean, there's a lot of brilliant scenes. First, there's the kind of, like, vintage nightclub-y sort of stuff. And he's this solitary guy, and he has this bird. And come to find out that the bird is sort of like an alarm system for him in a way. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which is fucking brilliant. Oh, my God. Um, it's so brilliant. Yeah. And... Yeah, he's this like it feels feels very true to the kind of samurai code of ethics like very and much. The, the end sort of pays off I think that connection very nicely. Oh yeah. So, yeah, that's a that's a great pick. I I had it on my list and I took took it off just cuz I knew that you would probably pick it and Yeah. In the end I I resolved myself to like I felt like uh you know even though I have two films from the same director, I felt good about my list. Oh no, Leon! I, I don't think I don't think um, the list is is complete without Leon. And, and yeah. I, likewise, I left Leon off because um, I, I, I had an inkling you were going to pick it, and um, yeah, but I he that would have been on my list for sure. Yep. So my third and final pick is Fallen Angels by Wong Kar Wai. Yes. And the reason that I picked this is because I just think it does something different in a way. First of all, it's another um, artful, very artful take. It's the what I think is so special about this film is the relationship between we have. There's a female character who's sort of the handler for this um, male hitman. They never really cross paths, but she has sort of fallen in love with this guy. You come to find out, and she comes and not only gives him his jobs and gives make sure he has all the weapons that he needs or whatever, but she cleans the apartment and makes yeah. sure that there's no trace of him afterwards. So she kind of gets these hints of what his life is like, and she's sort of putting together the pieces of this person that she sort of has this picture in her head and this ideal and fantasy, but you, it's this very... It's almost like you, you once again, you long for the two of them to actually end up together in the film. And that's, he's great at that. Yeah, he's really good at that. Yeah, no, hardly anyone does longing better than Wong Kar Wai. Oh my like, god, he's the master. This he's dude, the master, must have had a lot of unrequited love in his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's so good. So, at it. and the other thing that I think um, is brilliant about this film is the the artistry of the chaos. So when the mm. early on the first hit, the, our hitman character walks into this kind of. He walks through a restaurant in the back of this restaurant. There's like a big card game going on between all these gangsters. And he comes in, two guns out, you know, Hong Kong action style. And he just starts <laughs> yeah. boom, 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 taking all these guys out. And it's the, the beauty of the chaos, like how artfully the chaos and the frenetic oh. pace of the action plays out is just really brilliant and done in like very true to Wong Kar Wai fashion. And I feel like adds something entirely new. You see tables flipping and chips and cards going everywhere and bullets flying and the muzzle flashes. And there's a, uh, he's finds a beauty in the violence and the chaos. And it feels like, um, he's representing in this way that, um, no one else has. And that's what influenced, I think, influenced a bit. Like you could say there's John Woo influences there. A little bit. A little bit. As far as like. It's not quite as like, it's more real. It is. Oh, yeah. Than John Woo. Like the John Woo stuff is like this, like. Over the top. Almost like. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love John Woo all day and twice on Sundays. I hard boiled and, um, you know, a better tomorrow. And, um, Killers and killers. Killers is one of unreal. Is one of the greatest. Um, it's almost like, and it's it's interesting because like Takeshi Katano. Oh, he's the other one. I was is, just about to say like he's my other. He does like the violence in his films in a way. It's almost like Wong Kar Wai is like that takes this the blunt realism of Takeshi Kitano and the stylism of John Woo and kind of like adds his own stunning visuals to it. And that's exactly, yeah. Kind of walks the line between the two. You're absolutely right. Yeah. He, he, he has, yeah, there's that sort of reverence for violence 
but he has this visual style that is so unique and and he can use it like it's used if you watch Chunking Express and then and you didn't know what you were watching and then watched 30 40 50 other movies and then you saw Fallen Angels you'd be like oh that's I I know that right. like I mean he's so like unique yeah and did you ever see the film Ichi the Killer um it's, it's it isn't know. a hitman film. It's it's more of a gangster film. But there's I don't it's like super this familiar. crazy over the top violence in that. But at the same time, I feel like it uh, it has its roots in films like Fallen Angels and some of that stuff. It's the way it's lit and the way it's shot and some of it. it it's its own thing and it kind of veers. You know, takes some some influence from I think Fallen Angels, but veers way off and goes into a much darker place. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a. I know the title, but I can't say I've seen it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's worth watching. It is. You do not want to watch this when anyone even remotely squeamish is around, though, because you have, I mean, shit that you do not see in American cinema. Like people take there's uh, abuse and violence that's taken like to some seriously next level shit. Fucking A. Not in the same way, in, in a much different way than, um, like, like old Christ. boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. old boy. Yeah. You know, where old boy is just like this blunt, yeah. real, like, you know, just like beating people over the head with a hatchet and stuff like that. It's not quite like that. It's, it's different. It's more like, although old boy in the end kind of goes, gets where pretty. A lot, when, I, when I saw the sort of end of the old boy stuff with like tongues being cut out and shit, I was like, Oh yeah. E- there's some Ichi the killer in this. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're, we may have to do a, um, we may have to do like an Asian. Yeah, we definitely crime with, Right. Because and I, we could almost even drill down and do like, I could just do beat Takeshi. Yeah. And just do like your three favorite Pete Takeshi movies. I mean, we probably have a little yeah. overlap, but um oh man, he's like Yeah. I I think I'd have at least one that surprises you cuz there's an uh, like more American film that he did that I think was Fireworks? No, no. No, Fireworks is an Asian film. Oh yeah. But there was a film that he did with like Omar Epps and some American actors actually. Where oh, everyone was God. like, oh, yeah, my God, this thing, that? what is this? Because I think people that were purely into the Asian cinema stuff that he did, like, thought that that film was dog shit. And I, so I went into it with really low expectations. I watched it. I was like, there's some fucking killer stuff in this film. So I thought it was, I actually thought it was good. Huh. Um, I haven't seen it. So anyways, yeah, some other time. But yeah. So. At the end of, um, I can't leave the uh, this talk about hit hitmen uh, without giving a shout out to what I think is regarded by many as the best hitman novel of all time. That's never been. Mm. I think it's never been made into a film. Maybe it was, and there was a film, and it didn't do very well. There's a book called The Butcher's Boy by Thomas Perry oh. um, that is uh, about this hitman character who. It's just so skillfully written and so brilliantly done. Um, the way there's a murder that this character executes in a hotel. When I read about it, I was like, fuck, I can't even. He almost this like he commits this what is almost a traceless murder. But th- there's this uh, guy who like a government investigator who's tr- really has been following this guy's career, trying to catch him. And it's almost like this guy's a ghost and he, he's one of the only people who believes that there's something there. And, um, it's really good. The butcher's boy by Thomas Perry. If you're a fan of this genre and hitman or great crime fiction in general, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. Butcher's really boy. Good. Yep. Nice. So, uh, how are we doing on time? Do we want to cut this off here? Or do we want to uh, go for the uh, segment we did last time? Oh, the quiz! <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. do it. We've got a we've got a fast quiz here. So let's what we're going to do fast. is, uh, as we all know, Jason Santos is a, a man of unquestionable taste. That's so right. what we're going to do here is we're going to prevent we're going to present uh, Mr. Santos with some tough choices here. This uh, is a segment that I like to call In a Santos World because <laughs> Jason is going to decide, he's going to be presented with two films. And one of these films, if one of these films had to be eradicated from existence, 
and one <sighs> could live on. Yeah. Which would you choose? All right. All right. Here we go. First up, Heat versus Casino. Um, I think Heat stays um, because there's it, – it's so amazing. The gun scene is so incredible. Casino, um, we've seen sort of the long Scorsese – Kind of jag off thing. It, it not, don't get me wrong. I love I love Casino. I love it, and I could watch that kind of shit all day long. And I w- and I do. Yeah. Like I, I, that movie's amazing. But I mean, it doesn't compare to Goodfellas, though. No. If you're looking at Scorsese films, there's a lot better Scorsese films. I would even say. Oh, don't. Yeah. No. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. I go way back. I mean, for yeah. me, like, yeah. But anyhow, um, Heat stays because not just for the De Niro Pacino thing, but for a bunch of reasons. I. I Heat is amazing. Yep. All right. Next up. Alien or Terminator? Oh, God. That's brutal, man. Because without Terminator, you have no Terminator 2. <laughs> um, I mean, is that... Yeah, right? I mean, kind of. Um, but without Alien, you don't have aliens. That's awful. That's an awful thing to do to somebody. <laughs> Why would you fucking do that? Um, God, if I got to choose, um, I would... That is so fifty fifty for me. Like I, I guess, I guess it, I would get rid of Terminator. But I mean, just because I, I think I agree with that choice. It, it's, but a, it's a tough choice. It's like it's a brutal Sophie's choice. Or <laughs> oh, that's a brutal yeah. one. But I, I, I would keep Alien. All right. Next, this one's going to be tough. Seven Samurai or The Hidden Fortress. Um, I think, I think, I think only because of its importance and what it did to movies going forward, I think the Hidden Fortress, I think the Hidden Fortress is a better movie, but I think the Seven Samurai, um, played a bigger role in film and it was more important. So in history, I would have to. I would have to say the Seventh Samurai should stay, but the Hidden Fort- but Hidden Fortress is a better movie. Wow, I, li- I like how you're considering the butterfly effect repercussions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here from here on out, they may get a little easier, but we'll see. Stand by Me or The Goonies? Um, The Goonies goes, and Stand by Me stays. All right, any? Um, I I. Goonies, the kids are too little. Um, and in Stand By Me, when I saw Stand By Me, I think I was kind of their age. Right. And um, and it was it was incredible. It was one of the first movies where, you know, being that young, where it was like, oh, my God. I, even though this is from a different time, like, it was like, oh, kids are have kind of always been like me. I'm not the first one to feel like this. I'm not the first one to have these feelings or to have hmm. these problems. And even though these kids grew up in the, you know, 50s, that, but, you know, they still had kind of the same problems that I do. And seeing, like, qualities that you have and you're not sure about happening to people on the screen, that was the first time that it kind of happened to me, I think. And by the same problems as you, you are obviously referring to leeches on your balls. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. What else? <laughs> All right. Next up. Star Wars. Or Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. Um, Star Wars stays. Star Trek goes. Um, I, I love I love Star Trek. In um, don't don't get me fucking started on Star Wars because I'm not fucking happy. For one, the new Star Wars. Yeah. All right. Let's wait and talk about that next episode. Okay. Let's talk about that next episode. But um, but Star Wars stays in Star Trek goes. I love I love the Wrath of Khan though. It's great. It's by easily the best Star Trek film of all time, including all the new ones. No question. All right. This one was personally tough for me, which is why I threw it in. It might be easier for you. Remo Williams or Big Trouble in Little China? Ooh, that is a hard one. Um, Big Trouble in Little China goes. Remo Williams stays because ah, fucking Kurt Russell. Tough. I mean, enough. I, I mean, he. it's so like. The thing about Kurt Russell in that film that's so brilliant, though, is he's playing a caricature of all the other characters he's played. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's that like is super, the tongue in cheek nature of it, it is, is completely really brilliant. Ah, shit. That's true. Here's. Here's. 
I think I'm kind of unfairly. So, who plays Remo Williams? Um, Fred Ward. Fred Bork. Um, and he plays a Williford character. Yep. And that's why I kind of have a thing. Yeah. And maybe that I don't know. There's something there. That yeah. connection. All right. Uh, plus, I just think the all the fucking weird Chinese mysticism and the god thing. That and stuff all is that, kill- that movie's amazing. Like, Mortal Kombat wouldn't have had half no. the characters that had if it wasn't for Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China is amazing. Yeah. That opening scene, though, I hate so much. When he's like in the truck, I don't yeah. know. It, it just grates on me. I know it's a, <laughs> I know it's a character, but yeah. Oh, uh. uh, it's so so brilliant. I I love both those movies. Honestly, I think yeah. like when you talk about '80s sort of kitschy action movies, like those two. Um, Buckaroo Banzai is the only other one that, that I would maybe throw onto the list, but like, yep. it's weird because no one really like. It's rare that you see an action comedy. Anymore. Oh yeah, no, I know. You know yeah, it's not a, not a thing that's done very much. All right, next, Shining, The Shining, or Jaws. Um, The Shining stays and Jaws goes. Um, the sh- the Jaws was amazing, but it could be repeated. The Shining can never be repeated. Right. Oh, interesting. It's it's funny because you pick these things that exist as books, even if they aren't movies. Um, yeah. Huh. I mean, The Shining, I love that book. Yeah. But the movie's better than the book. All right. Well, there you go. Good just, so you know, just so everybody knows, as yeah. a fact, the movie's right. better than the book. One of the rare cases. Yep. All right. We're going to go into documentary land here. Oh. Thin Blue Line or Brother's Keeper? Ooh, um, Thin Blue Line stays, um, I mean, again, it's one of the most important documentaries ever made, right? Because it was of its effect on real life. Yep. And it's made by one of the greatest documentary makers ever. Yep. Um, but Brothers Keeper is so good and it's so engrossing, but... Um, and I, and to be honest with you, there's probably a part of me that in there's, it's more brothers keeper is so voyeuristic and it's, it, it makes it so enjoyable to watch like you, that the access in that movie is, is fucking unbelievable. So it, as a film, like you're, it's more engrossing yeah. because you're in it and, and it's that's all remi- like apple, apples to apple or apples to oranges comparison. Cause it's one is recreated yeah. and stylized. And the other one is like, you're actually watching these things unfold in real time. Exactly. But, yeah. um, I, uh, all, I have a lo- very deep love for the Philip glass soundtrack for thin blue line. As oh well. my so God. I, I would have a vested interest in those are both great films. I agree, but yeah, I like thin blue line, uh, die hard or lethal weapon. Oh, die hard. Yeah. I mean, don't get, I love fucking lethal weapon. Love it. But um, but Die Hard. Wouldn't is, you wouldn't you cry yourself to sleep at night knowing that you that just beautiful beautiful mullet of Mel Gibson's didn't <laughs> exist anymore from Lethal Weapon One? Oh my god, I used to love Mel Gibson, man. Yeah. Before he was an anti-Semite piece of shit. I mean, yeah. I guess he always was, but you just didn't know it. Yeah. All right, last one. We're gonna go into uh, anime here for a second. Akira or Spirited Away? Akira. Akira. It was the first my introduction to to the genre in like and I had I had never I had no idea. And so when I saw it I was like and and watched it with somebody that was explaining like you know that knew about anime and I was like, "Oh my god, this is it was sort of like this whole fucking world opened up for me." Not that I I've, I've become hugely involved in like I, I it's not a thing for me. I don't watch a ton of anime, but um but for me Akira I was like, "Oh my god, you can just literally make your own fucking world here. Of course you can. Yep. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. There's no no doubt that Akira is like a seminal film. Well, it's the most, I mean, yeah. probably the most important. Yeah. You know. I think Spirited Away was, for me, one of the films that kind of, it's, it pulled me sort of back in. It was like one of the first Miyazaki films that I'd seen. And it's sort yeah. of like, you know, coming out of being like I read the Akira graphic novels and when the film came I was in high school and sort of post high school you kind of think of like well I mean I guess we watched things like Vampire Hunter D and stuff like that but I was sort of like had been out of that world after you know by the time I saw um, Spirited Away and 
Princess Mononoke was like I was in under like well past undergrad in an okay. adult and I thought I had like, you know, anime like Yeah. I'm done with that. Yeah. Done with that, but no, absolutely not. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Really good. All right. That was good. That was super fun. It's painful, but fun. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, as always, to our uh, lovely audio engineer, Kaya Fisher. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Kaya. See ya.